This morning's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the, God, the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Pray. Father, we confess that uh, often our hearts are hard for all sorts of reasons, Lord, and it is hard for us to soften them. So we pray for your spirit to come and to soften our hearts uh, so that we can hear your voice this morning and be changed as a result, Father. So we invite your spirit to come to speak to our hearts and our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I have a running list of things in my head that I want to talk to God about once I get to heaven, okay? One of the questions I want to ask him is, is uh, why do all the things that taste the best have to be the things that are the worst for you health-wise? I want to ask God questions like, why did you give us the appendix? What is the real purpose of the appendix? Because we don't really know. But one of the big questions that I want to ask God is, why do we dream? Have you ever wondered about that? Why do we dream? What is the purpose of dreams? What are the deal with dreams and why do we do them? Why, in our most vulnerable state, do these subconscious images and feelings and storylines play out in our minds? Have you ever wondered that before? I read an article this week that said that the average person dreams about five to seven dreams at night once we get to that REM sleep, if we ever get to that 
REM sleep. And the article also said that that we can, uh, some of our dreams can last upwards between 20 and 30 minutes, but ironically, we rarely remember them once we wake up. Every once in a while, we'll wake up and the lasting impression of a dream will be with us. I can remember times where I've uh, had a dream where I argued with my wife or a coworker. So I woke up the next day kind of annoyed and cranky uh, with everyone I interacted with. Or even this morning, my daughter woke up and had a scary dream. So for 10 minutes, she was a little disheveled about life. But more often than not, we forget about our dreams right after we have dreamt them. I read another article that said that nightmares, maybe you have nightmares from time to time, but this article said that nightmares can actually have a positive effect on us because they allow us to identify and face our fears head on. The article even said that that it can help us with learning uh, to see the signs for early onset of depression. The article called our nightmares free therapy. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd rather let the therapy go. I'd rather not have uh, those nightmares. Well, interestingly enough, uh, the Bible itself is full of dreams. You see, before the, the scriptures were complete, God would often use dreams and visions to powerfully communicate revelation to his people. And these dreams would tell people about the character of God. They would reveal the character to him. And they would also reveal uh, the will of God to his people. Well, now that we have uh, the perfect revelation in Jesus Christ, now that we have the completed revelation of God in the scriptures, we don't necessarily have that specific function of dreams. Because if we want to look at God or learn about God, then we look to Jesus. We look to his word and we discover his perfect character and his perfect will. Well, this Advent season, what I'd like to do is look at some of those dreams that are all over the scriptures. And we're going to start this morning by looking at Jacob's dream and finish at the end by looking at John's dream in the book of Revelation. And hopefully what we'll see is that all these dreams have an anticipatory character to them. All of them look to the coming of Jesus Christ, either in his first advent that we celebrate during Christmas time, or in his second advent at the end of all things. This morning what I'd like to do is begin with Jacob's advent dream that we read about in Genesis chapter 28. Now Jacob was uh, the son of Isaac, and at the end of the day he was not a very good man. The Old Testament tells uh, the story about how God entered into a very special relationship with one particular family, and that family grew into a great nation. The family started with Abraham, and then Abraham had, had a son whose name was Isaac, and then Isaac had two sons, their names were Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the younger of the two sons, and what we learn about is that he managed to connive and conspire and to steal his brother's birthright and his inheritance. 
This, of course, uh, frustrated and infuriated his brother Esau, who swore on his own life that he was going to do everything that he could to have his younger brother Jacob killed. And so Jacob did the one thing he knew to do, and that is he ran. He ran away. He ran away from his family. He ran away from his brother for fear of his life. He ran into the wilderness all by himself in order to simply save his neck. What our passage tells us is that when Jacob was on the run, when he was in the wilderness, one evening he grabbed a rock uh, and used it for a pillow, and he went to sleep. At no, no, at no doubt, at this point in Jacob's life, he was exhausted, he was alone, he was, in very many ways, a homeless fugitive. He was in exile with no support system at all. In fact, some people believe that when he went to bed that night, he'd been lost and exiled in the wilderness for upwards to an entire month. So while Jacob was in this place, this this in-between place, the passage tells us that he encounters God in a dream. And because of that, his life would change forever. You see, this was Jacob's first encounter with God. This was his first brush with God. He had heard about God from his father Isaac. He'd no doubt heard stories about God from his grandfather Abraham. But he had never experienced God firsthand in his own life. And now God seeks him out and God finds him while he was in exile. The passage tells us that while uh, Jacob was sleeping, he had a powerful dream that had a powerful image. Verse 12 says this, and he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Now, often when we we read this story, we think about ladders that you and I use every day. Maybe in construction projects around the house, it's something with rungs that we set up on our house and work on our roofs or, or do some sort of construction project with. And we don't know if that's exactly what uh, Jacob saw, but most likely it was a very different ladder than what we imagine it in our own day to look like. What, what Jacob probably saw was something called an ancient ziggurat. A ziggurat in, in Jacob's day was a, a pyramid-like structure that had steps. Maybe you've seen them in history documentaries or in history textbooks before. And they were constructed by ancient societies and they were believed to be portals or stairways that would lead people to the gateway of the gods. And it was most likely that these ziggurats were all over the ancient world in Jacob's day. This is probably what uh, the Tower of Babel was that you read about in Genesis chapter 11. And what they all were where they were mankind's attempt to get to God. They were mankind's attempt to to climb the ladder and get to the presence of God, to somehow ascend to Him. But what made this particular dream so unique for Jacob? What made it unique to him and unique in the ancient world was the fact that God was descending on this ladder. 
He was descending on this image. Jacob wasn't forced to climb it. He wasn't forced to crawl his way up to God. Instead, God made, met Jacob by descending in his, in, met Jacob in his most vulnerable place. You see, Jacob was an absolute mess, and it was all of his own doing. He was alone. He was helpless. He didn't have God on his radar at all. He wasn't trying to clean his life up or to get right with God. He'd made an absolute disaster of his life. And then God intrudes into his story. God comes down, and he meets with Jacob and changes Jacob's life. And it's a reminder to all of us as we read this story and reflect on it. It's a reminder to all of us that God often comes at the most unlikely times and in the most unlikely places in our lives. But it's also a reminder that God is the one who comes to us. We don't and we couldn't come to him on our own. God is the one who takes the first initiative. He is the one who descends. Someone once said that religion is our attempt to get to God, our attempt to ascend the ladder. But Christianity is very different because at the core of Christianity is the belief that God comes to us. Because we, left to ourselves, would never take the initiative. And sometimes, actually most likely always, God's coming is disruptive. And it sure was for Jacob in his life and in his story. About two weeks ago, uh, our youngest daughter, we could tell she, she wasn't feeling good. She's just over a year old now, so she can't really talk to us and tell us Uh, when she's feeling sick, Uh, but we could just begin to tell that she wasn't feeling really good, and it went on for a couple of days, so we did what good parents do, and we we took her to the doctors, and we discovered when we took her to the doctors that she had a really nasty ear infection in one of her ears. We were relieved to know actually what was actually going on, and, uh, and the doctor then prescribed antibiotics for her. So we rushed over to the pharmacy, and we got uh, uh, her prescription filled, and we got the antibiotics for her. And we took her home, and we couldn't wait to, to get that first dose of antibiotics in her so that, so that she would begin to start feeling better. So we, we, uh, we got the dosage ready. We gave it to her. She put it in her mouth. She swished it around and then she spit it out back at both Becca and I. We were covered in, in antibiotic medicine all over us. Eventually what we had to do is we had to eventually hold her down and, and force her to swallow this medicine. We had to, to do this incredibly disruptive thing that she didn't understand or couldn't figure out in order to put her back onto the path of healing. Well, friends, often God's entering in is just like that. Often God's entering in can be incredibly disruptive, but it always brings us on to the path of a fuller life. Ed Clowney said, the true religion does not come from man's quest, but from God's intervention. 
And this is the sort of holy disruption that Jacob experiences. It's the sort of holy disruption that we all have to go on if we want to get on to the path of life. God comes to us because left to ourselves, we would never go to him. But God doesn't just show this image to Jacob in his dream. He also incredibly makes promises to Jacob. Look at verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. You see, God doesn't come down this ladder like he did in judgment at the Tower of Babel. That is, of course, what we would expect. Jacob is, after all, a scoundrel. He's a con man. He's someone who no one would or no one should trust. He is someone who looks out for himself alone and cares nothing for anyone else. And yet, despite all of that, God comes to Jacob making promises. He says to Jacob, I am with you and I will always be with you. He says, I'm making a covenant with you, promises that can never be broken. I will never, ever let you go. Friends, this is what the gospel tells us. It tells us that God doesn't just come down. He doesn't just condescend, but he comes down making promises that are full of of grace. He doesn't just come to save us. He, of course, does that. But he comes not just to give himself up for us once. He comes to us for the long haul, to the very end. It isn't just a one-time act of God's grace. It is perpetual grace that he pours out faithfully into our lives. See, this narrative shatters all of our presuppositions about God. But ultimately, isn't that what the Advent season is really all about? Fast forward a thousand years, and in John chapter 1, you you read a story about Jesus talking to uh, one of his followers who's named uh, Nathaniel. And he says to Nathaniel this, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, You will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending on the Son of Man. What is Jesus doing here? He's telling Nathanael that he is the ladder. This ancient symbol, this ancient dream that Nathanael would have known about, this ancient dream is all about him. The dream has come true in flesh And in blood. He, Jesus Christ, is God who has come down. He is the only path to God, the only means by which you and I can experience healing. And friends, this is what we celebrate during the Advent season that God has not just come down, but that He has come down making promises. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. Jacob's response to his dream is one of absolute wonder and amazement. 
Immediately, this this desert place, this wilderness place that Jacob is in, has now become a holy place. Verse 17 says this, And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. You see, Jacob's dream left him in a state of awesomeness. It it left him awestruck because the only response for Jacob and for you and I too, the only response to encountering God is worship. God came down and he turned this scoundrel into a worshiper and his life would never ever be the same. Friends, this also is what the Advent season is all about. It's worshiping a God who came down making promises, a God who came down to make a pathway to God the Father. And Jacob's dream became that fuller reality in the person of Jesus Christ who gave up his life in order to provide life for us. And when we come to terms with that, we become worshipers too. Ronald Rollheiser tells a story uh, about a little girl uh, who was having nightmares. She was having bad dreams and consequently because of that she became afraid of the dark. She didn't want to be in her room all by herself. And when she was in her room all by herself she would call for her parents to come in. Mom, Dad, come in. Be with me. Don't let me be in the dark all by myself. And her parents would come in repeatedly throughout the night. If you've had kids, you know what this is all about. And then at one point, her parents looked at her and said, You know, God is with you in this room. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be frightened by the dark or by whatever nightmare you may have. God is present with you. He's in this room. And she looked up at her mom and dad and she said, That's great and all, mom and dad. But can't I have somebody in here with skin on? Friends, Advent tells us that we have a God with skin on. He's a God who not only comes, but he's a God who comes making promises. And perhaps the greatest promise he made to us was one of the last words that he left with his followers before he ascended back into heaven. Where he said this, And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Let's pray.